We're going to be in Nahum chapter 3 tonight. You would turn there, and this hopefully will be our final uh, sermon uh, in the book of Nahum. Uh, of course, the book of Nahum is directed at Nineveh, just like Jonah's book was, or Jonah t- is, Jonah's book tells the story of him going to Nineveh, but it's with different results. And while they repented at Jonah's preaching, 100, about 100, 150 years later, they did not repent at, at hearing this prophecy or reading this prophecy. In, you know, in John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, the central character Christian is fleeing the city of destruction, which is a picture of this fallen world. And when you look at Nineveh, we can just isolate it to the historical prophecy that Nahum gives or to history about its fall, but there's spiritual lessons to learn. That in reality, Nineveh is really a picture of what this wicked world is all about. One that is headed to destruction. One that is evil. Uh, And most will not realize that it's too late until until the end. And uh, beginning in Nahum chapter 3, we're going to look at at first starting out just the first three verses. And before we read those verses, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord God, we give you thanks for another time to gather together to worship you. And Lord, thank you for your word and help us to learn from your word. Uh, Tonight, uh, may our hearts be open to your word and help me, your unworthy servant, as I read and proclaim it. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Beginning in verse 1 of Nahum 3. Woe to the bloody city! It is all full of lies and robbery. The prey departeth not. The noise of a whip and the noise of the rattling of the wheels and of the prancing horses and of the jumping chariots. The horsemen lifted up both the bright sword and the glittering spear. And there is a multitude of slain and a great number of carcasses, and there is none end of their corpses. They stumble upon their corpses. Chapter 3 of Nahum begins with, Woe to the bloody city, the prophet declares. Woe to this bloody city, Nineveh. Judgment upon it. And Nineveh was a bloody city. We've looked at this some already. But the meaning of it being a bloody city, Nineveh as the capital of the Assyrian Empire had shed much blood throughout the known world. Countless lives, thousands upon thousands, had lost their lives to the Assyrians. Note, it says it's full of lies. They had deceived nations. You can read in Kings about how they tried to deceive Judah to surrender and and not listen to Hezekiah. 
Uh, they were full of robbery. They had plundered the nations. They had used deception and lies and robbed other countries of their riches. And then you see in verses 2 and 3 is a description which is really described also in chapter 2, but it's continuing this description of the invaders who, who come through the walls of Nineveh. Uh, the, we know this would be the Babylonians and the Medes. And it talks about the noise of the whip, the, the wheels, the chariots coming through, the horsemen coming through. They are, they are overrun and slaughter the Assyrians. This once great and mighty army, the most feared army on the face of the earth, is now being overrun and slaughtered. Even mentions that the corpses of the dead Assyrians are so great in the city there in Nineveh that they stumble upon it. The cruelty they had shown to others now comes back upon them. And I was thinking, uh, uh, I'm kind of a history nut about if you ever read of this the siege of Berlin in World War II. Uh, you know a little bit about the Eastern Front, how Nazi Germany invaded the Soviet Union. I mean, they pressed deep into it. They laid siege to Leningrad. Uh, terrible, terrible bloody fighting. Knocked on the doors of Moscow. And then, of course, I think the one, if probably the bloodiest battle in world history, the Battle of Stalingrad. Uh, a nightmarish battle that lasted for months there and and I think the Russians lost like 30 million people in World War II from the the German invasion but then it turned against them and you ever read or watch a video about the siege of Berlin the Russians were coming back for revenge for what had been done to them uh, the evil the Nazis had doled out came back upon them when the when the Russians finally came up upon Berlin, I tell you what, folks, uh, that's what we see here. This nation of Assyria, Nineveh, their capital, had did great cruelty, and Nahum says the cruelty is coming back upon you. It was a bloody city, and like Nineveh, this world is one that's filled with blood. This is a bloody city or a bloody world that we live in. The history of humanity. If you, I think all of us have taken history courses. But what's so prominent when you study history? It's the study of war, isn't it? One war after the other. I mean, we even call the World War II generation or you know, the Civil War. You know, we, we, so much of hum, human history is filled with bloodshed. And even now, Really, just look at the last 20 years how much war has predominated in headlines. I mean, right now we've got Ukraine, war going on. Syria, Libya, Iraq, Afghanistan, Yemen, and there's, a, there's, what's not, there's not much made about it right now, but even in West Africa, there's like a League of Nations about to go to war. War seems to be a favorite activity of humanity. Terrible activity. I just recently watched a movie, Ike, Countdown to D-Day. It's about 
President Eisenhower, or not, well, he wasn't president then. He was commander of the Allied forces. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower, played by Tom Selleck. And it, it was uh, an amazing movie that I enjoyed because it, it showed this guy who was not really flashy like Patton, but was behind the scenes and he was planning D-Day and, and all how, the struggles he was thinking of how many Americans and British and Canadians and Australians were going to die. And at every decision he made, it was going to cost lives of people. That's a heavy burden that I wouldn't want. And it was Eisenhower who later stated, war is mankind's most tragic and stupid folly. To seek or advise its deliberate provocation is a black crime against all men. I mean, it's, it's something that our world is full of. Even today, uh, another great general, World War II, Douglas MacArthur, who commanded our troops in the Eastern Theater against the Japanese, later says, I know war as few other men know now living, nor living know it, and nothing to me is more revolting. I've long advocated its complete abolition. But despite what MacArthur and Eisenhower said, unfortunately war is going to be with us because it's part of the human nature. There's going to be some evil dictator who's going to want to conquer this, who's going to have their eyes. It's, it's just part of the, the, our fallen nature until the words of Isaiah chapter 2 verse 4 fulfilled when, when the, the swords will be beaten into plowshares. But that won't come until the King of Kings returns, the Prince of Peace. But until the Prince of Peace comes, we're haunted and we're plagued with this war culture that dominates the world. And it's not just war. Look at the crime that you see today. I mean, news is primarily about crime, violent crime, murders, mass shootings. Um, even, was it Friday, somebody went into a Walmart in Laplace with a gun and opened fire. Uh, nearby here, you say something's wrong with people. Why has this happened? Didn't you seem like it never happened before? I tell you, we're reaping, my friends, we're reaping the fruits of a godless culture that's getting more ungodlier by the moment. It goes back to our fallen nature. This is a city of blood. Hammond, I was looking at statistics. Did you know that Hammond is the fourth most violent town in Louisiana? I didn't know that. That's 2023. Fourth most violent. You know what the eighth most is? New Orleans. I thought New Orleans would be number one in Louisiana. But in Louisiana, Hammond is the fourth most violent. New Orleans is number eight. It says one in seven chance of encountering violence in Hammond. Uh, it's here, and Hammond's not a, I mean, it's a small city, but it's not, you know, like New Orleans or, or Shreveport or some other, you know, or even like a, a Houston. But we got it even here in our area, my friends. It's part of a fallen creation that we're part of. Another thing that we see, this bloody, bloody city in our bloody nation is abortion. 
that has plagued us for decades. And all we thought last was it last year, I believe, when Roe v. Wade was finally overturned. And I many have been thinking, well, this once it's overturned, that's the end of it. No, that's just the, really the beginning. It goes back to the states. And now we're seeing when it goes back to the states, most of the time uh, anti-abortion laws or pro-life laws are lost. Why? Because the battle on this is ultimately going to be won in the heart of men and women who want to do what they want to do, my friends. It's part of our fallen nature. Christ is the answer. Christ is the answer to people's problems, to their sin problem. But we live in a world, a depraved world, a lost world, and always will be till the Prince of Peace returns. Much like Nineveh, we're a city of blood. In verse 4, Nahum says, because of the multitudes of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot, the mystery of witchcrafts that selleth nations through her whoredoms and families through her witchcrafts. Nahum now calls Nineveh a harlot. A harlot or a prostitute. This is often used in the Old Testament to refer to idolatry idolatrous worship and she certainly was that uh, Nineveh was the Assyrians were they were a people who were uh, uh, who spread the idolatry throughout their empire and this worship of false gods was prominent now they were not God's chosen people they didn't have the law like Israel but if you read Romans chapter 1 they did have the light of nature and they had and they chose instead to worship the creation rather than the creator false religion is still prominent idolatry is still prominent even in our day and time i believe humans are religious by nature now being religious doesn't doesn't mean you're worshiping the one true god there are countless muslims Hindus, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, all very religious, sincere, but they're worshiping false gods. Or even more deceptive is what we often call the prosperity gospel, and I put that with a tiny G because it's not the real gospel, that go on these Christian TV and radio stations deceiving people. And, and lead them astray because they're they're using they're, once again if you follow God he'll make you rich or he's going to bless you and it's all about what he can do for you but it's idolatry the worship of self it's not the true gospel and I tell you another form of idolatry is the uh, today that we have here and especially here in South Louisiana uh, look, you can make sports an idol. You can make it an idol. You ever been around some LSU fans? <laughs> now, look, I, I like the LSU Tigers. Uh, but if LSU, you know, if they go undefeated this year, I'm going to be very happy. 
And if they don't, I'm not going to lose no sleep over it. But there's some people, I mean, that's their life. Really, seriously. I mean, uh, I, I see it more so in college football than even professional football. At least that's been my experience. When I was uh, in St. Francisville, it was a man in the church there that was a big Alabama fan. Big Alabama. Boy, he was in the wrong area <laughs> to be a huge Alabama fan. And... Uh, and, and I remember they lost to LSU that year. That was when LSU was way down. They had Curly Holman, and I think they don't, they, did, they had a losing season. But LSU beat them, and I mean, he was, he, 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 he was getting hammered for it. And uh, he even told me, he says, after they lost that game to LSU, he said he just went straight to bed. He was so depressed. Look, folks, you got to be careful with his subtle things. You can make even... You can make sports, you can make hunting, you can make fishing, a lot of things into an idol and put it above the Creator if you're not careful. Anything we put over God, the true God, can become an idol, my friends. Uh, going back to verse 5 here in Nahum, we see these words that are very similar to verse 13, of chapter, or chapter 2, verse 13. Behold, I'm against thee. This is the second time we see this. Behold, I'm against thee, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will discover, will discover thy skirts upon thy face, and I will show the nations thy nakedness, and the kingdoms thy shame, and I will cast abominable filth upon thee, and make thee vile, and will set thee as a gazing stock. And it shall come to pass that all they that look upon thee shall flee from thee and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Whence shall I seek comforters for thee? Nahum now speaks of Nineveh's humiliation. A time of humiliation is coming. He says, I will lift up your skirts over your face like a prostitute. You're going to be totally humiliated. Your nakedness exposed like a prostitute. You were once mighty and proud. You bragged. You, you, took, uh, you took great pride in how great you are. And I'm going to show that you're nothing. Defeated. Humiliated. The inhabitants will be killed and will be enslaved to the Babylonians and the Medes. He even says, I will throw filth at you. And the nations that you once conquered and ruled and at once were, were fearful of you, they'll mock you. They will mock you and be glad of your destruction, Nineveh. The other day uh, uh, at my job, and I have to do this every now and then. I hadn't done this in a long time, but they catch a shoplifter and they have to have a witness. And you, one of us is a witness and we go into the office with the security and, and a policeman and, and the person who did it sits down and they do an inventory. And it's usually extremely embarrassing for the person who's got, got caught shoplifting. And I was, the man that was caught was about my age. And I could see the tears in his eyes, humiliation as they were showing what he had stolen. And there was a part of me that felt sorry for him, even though he'd done it. I'm kind of a softy anyway, but 
I mean, he, you, you felt sorry. Here he is being totally humiliated. He had no idea that he was being watched by cameras and now it's being exposed and he is totally humiliated for what he has done as he's being shown his thievery. I'll tell you what, my friends, there's coming a judgment day and it's going to be a greater humiliation for many. When many will stand before Almighty God and hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. People that you and I know that we've witnessed to, that we've shared the gospel with, that we've prayed for and we've prayed for and we've pleaded to God for. We've pleaded with them to look to Christ. We've invited them to church. And they just, you know, blow us off. And then, but we know, folks, a day's coming, a day of humiliation if they do not repent, like Nineveh, but it will even be greater humiliation. They rejected Christ. And they, when they stand before God, they will hear those words, Depart from me. I never knew you. In verse 8 of Nahum 3, and going to verse, uh, uh, to verse 10, Nahum asked, Art thou better than populace? No, that was situate, situate among the rivers that had the waters around about it, whose rampart was the sea, and her wall was from the sea. Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was infinite. Put and Lubin were thy helpers. Yet was she carried away. She went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed in pieces at the top of all the streets. And they cast lots for her honorable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. Now Nahum looks back to a previous superpower, empire. The word no is not the word, it's not meaning our word no, it's, a, it's the city of Egypt. No Amon, it's known as in some places, or the city of Thebes, Egypt. He says, are you better than that? That was the great fortress of Egypt. Egypt was a superpower at one time. Before Assyria. He says they were situated among the rivers. They had the waters round about them for protection. The sea. Her wall was from the sea. She was great and mighty. And yet this great Egyptian city with all its walls fell. And who brought it down? The Assyrians. He says, are you greater than them just like you brought them down? I'm going to bring your walls down. And then those, and, and he says they had allies. They had Ethiopia. They had Egypt. Put, Lubin. Lubin's reference to Libya. That didn't help them at all. You overcame them. She was carried away by them, by Assyria, by Nineveh. And note the ter terrible words there in verse 10. Just what, what the Assyrians had done to the Egyptian children there in, in No. Her ch young children were dashed to pieces. Uh, the population enslaved. 
And Nahum says, this is going to be your fate. The same fate awaits you. You doled that out to them, it's going to come upon you now. Then verse 11 says, uh, Thou also shall be drunken. Thou shall be hid. Thou shall also seek strength because of the enemy. You're going to be terrified is what he's basically say, stating here. When they come against your walls, you're going to be in complete terror of what's coming against you. Going to verse 12. All thy strongholds shall be like fig trees with the first ripe figs. If they be shaken, they shall even fall in the mouth of the, of the eater. You're like a fig tree with ripe figs, with the figs ready to fall into the mouth of those who are going to eat them. In this sense, they're that, they're that fig tree, and the figs and the eaters are the Babylonians and the Medes who are coming to devour you. You are helpless. Judgment's coming. Then verse 14 and 15, Nahum mocks them. He mocks them. He says, Draw thee waters for the siege. Prepare for the siege. Fortify thy strongholds. Go into clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brickland. There shall the fire devour thee. The sword shall cut thee off. It shall eat thee up like the canker worm. Make thyself many as the canker worm. Make thyself many as the locust. He tells them, get ready for battle. Get ready. Rally the troops. Going to be all for nothing though. Notice he says in verse 16, Thou hast multiplied thy merchants above the stars of heaven. In other words, you've enriched yourselves. This was a rich city. The canker worm spoileth and fleeth away. Meaning it's going to be plundered. All your wealth that you own is going to be plundered and taken away. And then in verses 17 and 18, he says, Thy crowned are as the locust, and thy captains as the great grasshoppers. In other words, he's saying your royal family, your royal family is like all the Assyrian royalty, they're like locusts and our captains. Your generals are like great grasshoppers which camp in the hedges in the cold day. But when the sun arises, they flee away and their place is not known where they are. All the great Assyrian generals and the royal family, oh, they've, they, have, they love the pomp and circumstance of how mighty they are. When the Babylonians and Medes come, they're going to flee like cowards, like locusts. They're not going to stand and fight. They're going to be so terrified. They're going to run. Then verse 18, he says, Thy shepherds, that is their leaders, slumber. O king of Assyria, thy nobles shall dwell in the dust. Thy people is scattered upon the mountains, and no man gathereth them. He's, he's stating here that there's a total collapse in their entire society when the Babylonians and the Medes come against them and break down the walls. They're gonna, it's just going to be total chaos and fear will engulf them. Someday this evil world, my friends, will know that also. 
In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. The Apostle Peter tells us, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Everything of this world fades away eventually. It talks about the day of the Lord. It's going to come like a thief in the night. It's going to capture this world off guard when the Lord returns when Christ returns. He speaks about the heavens passing away. Elements melting with fervent heat. All the riches that many are gathering up today will mean nothing. I saw where Oprah Winfrey, it's hard to believe, that she is worth $2.2 billion. That's unbelievable. You have that much money, you can just about buy anything, couldn't you? But here's the question. When she dies, how much will it be worth to her? Nothing. And I see so many who are gathering up riches today. But time's running out, my friends. Everything of this world, all the riches of this world fade away. Just like Nineveh faded away. Just like Nineveh went down in flames and was destroyed. And you know her destruction was so great that they weren't able to dig it up until the 1800s. It's, look, the ruins of Nineveh are there, but the city was never rebuilt. Uh, it's there, Nineveh Plains, outside Mosul, Iraq. But it's still a ruin. It's a testimony of God's judgment. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7, Through nine, the Apostle Paul states, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. What a day that will be. Uh, But you'll notice verse 10, when He shall come to be glorified in His saints, to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Two different fates. I know in this world, we, it seems like we get frustrated with everything that seems to be falling apart. We see so much evil and injustice and we experience that and it seems like the wicked are, are, are gaining or progressing or, and being bound, you know, just being, that they get everything. And we, we who are God's people, it seems at times we just get pushed around. There's so much injustice. My friends, there's a day of of judgment coming. God is not unjust. A day of judgment's coming upon evil, as it states in verse 9. 
But the saints will be will see the glory of Jesus in a different way because our testimony among you was believed. The gospel was believed. We rest in that. And that is our great hope. And then in the final verse of Nahum chapter 3, uh, we read these words where he states, there is no healing of thy bruise. There's no healing of your bruise, the damage done to you, Nineveh. Thy wound is grievous. All that hear the brood of thee shall clap the hands over thee. For upon whom hath not thy wickedness passed continually? He's stating nobody's going to grieve when you fall. You, they're going to clap and rejoice when they hear about your destruction and the cruelty that comes upon you. As I stated just a few minutes ago, and, and today that great city that was once the center of world power in the world is now just a heap of rock that archaeologists go and look at in Iraq today. In Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 3, very similar verses of Scripture to me as that last verse in Nahum. He states, And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power, honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are His judgments. For if judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of His saints at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah! And her smoke rose up forever and ever. This rejoicing is referring to the great harlot mentioned in Revelation 17, 18, which was historically was pointing to the great Roman Empire, but I think also points to this world system. That folks, when the injustice, this evil world comes to an end, all the evil, the saints in heaven will rejoice will rejoice that evil has been finally triumphed over or, or it's over with. Over with. We know it was triumphed over at the cross and at the empty tomb. But there's coming an end to the evil and oppression of the saints, the injustice. The saints in heaven, it states here, rejoice saying, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Oh, there's a great day coming, my friends. This city of destruction we live in is doomed but the good news there's an eternal city that's awaiting an eternal city that is awaiting for the saints who trust who have trusted in Jesus Christ uh, and like Abraham who was looking toward that city we as Christians even in our pilgrimage in this world each and every day should be like Abraham, looking to that eternal city whose builder and maker is God. And we should be pleading with those who know not Christ to leave this city of destruction before it's too late, before the judgment comes. And look, it's coming. We don't know when. 
the Lord will return. My friends, He's coming back. It's going to be a great joy for the saints. For those who are without Christ, it will be a terrible day. A terrible day of humiliation and judgment. So let us pray for those without Christ. Let us do as those you know, those angels when I was reading in my Bible reading the other day of, of the destruction of Sodom. And those angels went and warned uh, Lot, or they drug him out. They drug Lot and his family out of the city of Sodom. But if you go back to the previous chapter, you see Abraham pleading with God. He was concerned about Lot. And they took Lot out of that city of destruction, Sodom. We should pray that God will use us to share this gospel with so many who are mocking it that they may be saved. And if you know not Christ tonight as your Lord and Savior, He's your only hope. He's the only hope in this fallen world. Turn from your sins and look to Him as your only Savior. Let's pray. Lord God, we know that we live in a, in a fallen, evil world. We are just pilgrims, Lord, passing through. This is not our home. And yet many seem to be satisfied here. Many don't realize, don't seem to grasp that their life is going to come to an end someday. Oh Lord, I pray tonight for them that they will turn from their sins and leave this city of destruction looking to Jesus Christ to flee the wrath to come and to see that only in Him there is true salvation. Help us as Your saints to share this message throughout this week and to be a witness to them before it's everlasting too late. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.